Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So on my coffee table, I've, I've got a book called History's Worst Decisions. I think my parents gave it to me for a birthday present once, right? Dad, you did. It was a great present from a father to give a son. Some earthly wisdom. History's Worst Decisions. Anyone want to have a guess at some of the worst decisions that might have been there? Loretta. That was one of them. Yes, we've got that there. Anyone else want to have a guess? What was it? Hitler. Hitler going into Russia as well. <laughs> Donald Trump. Look, it was... <laughs> I think that's coming out in the abridged version, the updated version, the e-book. You can find that one in the e-book. Very good. Well done, class. Some of them included NASA accidentally taping over the moon landing. <laughs> Seriously. In fact, there are no known original recordings of the event. They've only just pulled out some of the recordings from archives. So in 2009, they've found something there. That's good. took 177 years to build the Tower of Pisa and only 10 for it to start leaning. (laughs) Uh, How's this one? Remember this? Not enough life jackets on the Titanic because it was unsinkable. Decca Records turning down a little-known band called The Beatles because they weren't sellable. NASA losing a Mars orbiter because part of the team used metric units and the other half to use English. (laughs) The Dutch discovering Australia 100 years before anyone else and not taking it because they thought it was just useless desert. (laughs) Someone leaving the gate open and allowing the Turks to sack Constantinople in 1453. And then, of course, a faulty construction that led to the meltdown of the Chernobyl reactor. When you hear that, aren't you glad that you weren't responsible for those messes? <laughs> if you're like me, do you find yourself going, man, I'm glad I didn't make that decision? Which, uh, which tells us this morning in a subtle way as well, though, is that we're conscious that we didn't make that mess, but we do have mess in our lives. When we see those big messes, it, we, we, you were doing that, right? We were automatically grading those messes against the messes of our life and we feel a little bit more comfortable. I can see many nodding. Yes. And when we talk about messes, and we'll be talking about messes in this series, Bless the Mess. When we talk about messes, you say, well, what mess do you ask? There's all sorts of messes. There's financial messes. There's relational messes. Some of you this morning, may, you may be in between messes right now, but you've had one or two in your life and there's some that are right in the rearview mirror that you can see it clearly. Some of you made your mess. You saw it coming, you knew it, you sensed it, but you still did it anyway. Some of you married a mess. Someone, someone saw it coming. <laughs> they warned you, but you're in love. Some of you are in a parenting mess right now. You did all the right things and you swear that you're going to bring them up the right way and you've got a prodigal and they're running and you're praying. Look, I'm not trying to drag this stuff up for the sake of making us all realise the things that hurt us the most at the deep of us. But here's what I want us to get through this series that all of us, right? All of us are either have been, are in the middle of, Or just one bad decision away from a mess. The whole point is that it's 
the mess, when you think about it, that is the one thing that we have all got in common. And so here's the good news for you this morning. If you look around, you're going to guarantee that you'll find someone in this place who's in a bigger mess than you are. (laughs) No, that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. Scratch that for the podcast. That's not the message this morning. Here's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. The mess is what brings us together. If you haven't worked it out, look, look around you, look around the auditorium this morning. You will see if you move beneath the surface that although everyone looks good, we smell good, we dress up good, there's mess. There are messes. And the reason it's so important to think about that and consider that is that when you come to understand that and look beneath the surface and you look at someone else's life, you, you, you shouldn't say, well, you know, don't do that or your life would be a mess. You shouldn't say, I can't believe you've gotten yourself into that mess. You shouldn't be thinking, oh my goodness, how did you make that mess? Because you come to a realisation that my life's a mess. I'm a mess as well. Certainly before we're critical, we need to think of that, that through in all of its entirety. Isn't it true? Haven't you found that Whenever you get the opportunity, whether it's in a home group or over a coffee or over a meal, and you hear someone's story and you hear about someone's mess, that it profoundly changes you. You know, that feeling where you begin to relate and there is empathy and there is compassion and your eyes are opened. And Have you ever found, even with some people, that your whole perspective of these people changes, like literally in an instant? Because you've connected with the mess. And so it means, therefore, that we should... We shouldn't shy away from talking about mess, particularly in church, because we should be students of the mess. That's why Jesus said, yank the plank. Remember he said, yank the plank in the Bible? That's the Sam translation. He said, uh, you know, if, if any, if, take, take, take the speck of wood out of your own eye. When you judge other people, take the plank out, get it out before you get all judgy, mcjudgy. Remember this, that you are all one dumb decision away from a mess. And so, you should be a student of the mess. If you do see a mess, then look at it, learn from it. At least learn and look at someone else's mistake and learn from that. Now, I recognize too, I reckon there is a whole bunch of people here that are right on the edge of being in church. In fact, maybe it's someone that listens to a podcast right now because a friend's given you this because they felt that it's what you need to hear. And you're not even in our church at the moment, but you're hearing this back on recording and you're, you're nowhere near church because when you have been in that mess and someone's looked into that mess, someone hasn't treated you with the empathy and the compassion and the grace that you deserved. They got judgy McJudgy and you thought, all Christians are like that. I'm never going back there again. But here's the resource that makes Christians radically different from the rest of the world. And that is that Christians believe that it's the mess that's the reason that brought God near And when you go back and look at the Eastern religions and the religions at the time of Jesus Christ, for God to enter into the mess is something that was never done. It's something that he, the gods of that world would never do, and yet it's our God that comes to the mess because the mess brings God near. (laughs) He came to bless the mess. So let's just tell it how it is. Let's just call a spade a spade and say there is mess. There's junk, right? There's junk in our lives. 
Which is fascinating because why is it then when we know this and we call it for what it is, why do we spend so much of our time and our energy trying to make our lives look half functional? (laughs) Have you noticed that? You know, it's all the engineering that we do with our lives, whether it's with our clothes or whether it's with our words or whether it's with our perception on Facebook, that, that, that we just do all we can to get our lives together in the same way that my little four-year-old, when he falls over and he hurts himself terribly badly, goes, I'm okay. We do that all the time as adults, don't we? We're hurt, we're pained, we're stung. We get into these moments like we do this morning in church. We go, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. You're certainly not okay if we're close enough to you and we can see into that. So part of what we're going to do is today is to recognize it's all about how you recognize the mess. The first step in moving away to a life that has power and has joy and has blessing rather than trying to engineer a sense of I'm okay in all of this, is to come to a recognition that the mess is the very lens by which we view God. In fact, the mess is the very thing through which we see God. The mess is the very thing that could allow you to see God a little bit better. And, and that is a great promise and good news first up is part of the good news. That it's through the mess you can come to understand that God reveals himself and his presence and his reality within the context of mess. And it's this to recognize, to recognize the mess, to recognize that you could be a mess, that you, you are a mess. <laughs> to recognize that means you are just one baby step away from recognizing God. And this passage, which is dense and heavy, it's remarkable that God uses, God uses the person who would have been the ultimate person at engineering a sense of okayness in their life. This guy was what the Bible called a Pharisee. And he was the best. He was the ultimate of them. The guy's name is Paul and he wrote this book. And so he was the religious type, the one who was perfect at using God and using the laws of God to make people think that his life is okay. And so God uses this guy to reverse engineer the perceptions that all is okay by starting to show us the lens by which we view God. And here's the first way that he does it. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. If you're an Australian, you are under the law. If you are an American, you are under the law. If, you're a, if you are a, an Orthodox Jew, you are under the law of the Old Testament that was, as we would know it. If you're a Christian, we are under the law of Jesus Christ. Now what it simply means is this, that uh, that it's, it's, a, it's a funny way of saying that there is something that is over you that controls you in a subconscious way. Let's get broader than that. You don't have to be a religious type to be under law. You can be under the law of your own rules. You can take the things of religion, the golden rule. Love God, love others. Do unto others as they would do unto you. Let's strip the God stuff. Let's do do unto others as they would do unto you. And so you live under that law. Um, You could be under the law of achievement. You can be under the law of success. Here's what the law does, whether it's legal law or it's the law of your own subconscious. The law is a whole bunch of oughts that control your thoughts. Law is simply a whole bunch of oughts that control your thoughts. Now that can be religious oughts. I ought to morally do this, morally do that. That can be irreligious oughts. 
I ought to have this job. I, I, I ought to have this size bank account. But either way, there are universal laws written on the hearts of all people, says Paul. There are oughts that control their thoughts. Now, you've experienced this. I bet you've experienced this. Because you would have said it once or twice throughout your life. Well, everyone knows that a person should try to, that a person should try not to. Or more personally, you say, I know I should try to. I know I should try not to. Ever been in that position? Right? So you know what this feels like. You know what this is. And then whether we're religious or not, we start to say the strangest thing, and when we do, when we start to say this, we get into something big, we get into something theologically big, we get into something life-changingly big. We don't realise we're doing it, but we are, and when we come to a realisation we're doing it, it's huge. So I don't want you to miss this this morning. We say this phrase when we feel the oughts that control our thoughts. We say this, we say, well, nobody's perfect. Now, can you hear what you're saying when you say that? If you say that, well, nobody's perfect, what you're saying is that there is an, that, that nobody's perfect means that there must be a perfect that is. Did you catch that? If I'm not perfect, there must be a perfect, however I might describe it, that is, that has always existed. And when you acknowledge that, now for the first time, you come to an awareness that you are under some form of law. And then that's the first step there. You acknowledge that there is a, there is a perfect that is. And then, then Paul goes on to say, this law is there so that every mouth may be silenced. Verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now, none of us are perfect. We sense that we're not perfect. And, and Paul says that there's a law where we're all aware of this in some way. And so we all sort of kind of feel accountable. And so what do we do? We, we try harder. Have you ever heard that with friends or colleagues who would say that they're not the religious type? And they'll say to you, look, it, it, look I, don't, I don't believe in God, but I'm just, I'm just trying to be a good person. Anyone ever had that? That's a response to the awareness of this law that they don't know how to describe it. And the whole point of this is not to try and make you try harder, says Paul. The point of the mess, the point of the tension is that you would be silenced. Now what that means practically is it means that moment when you are tempted to be critical, when you look into my mess or you look into someone else's mess or you look into the mess and you're about to start making a judgment, the law says to you, What'd you ever do? It's a Tony Monaro principle from the great movie Staying Alive. You know, he's about to walk out on the ultimate opportunity of his dancing career, and the producer says, Don't you walk out that door, Monaro? And he says to him, What'd you ever do? What'd you ever do? The whole point is, well, what you, would you ever do to earn the right to sit and stand in judgment of another person that everyone might be silenced? We know this, don't we? We know this, we feel this, we sense this. Who am I to judge? And, and yet, do, do we? More importantly, what does the law that you are under, it doesn't have to be God's law, what does it remind you that you are not? That's another way to look at it. 
Even in that awareness, we go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not the one to sit in judgment of someone like that. And isn't that heartbreaking? Isn't this the sort of kind of thing that over and over and over, that, that if, we, if we don't emerge out of this, and that's where we're going to go today, it's the sort of thing that can send us into spirals. That thing that I keep doing that I don't want to do, that habit that I can't break, those mistakes I keep making. Ugh. That addiction I can't break away from. You tell your parents I'll never do it again. You swear you're not going to talk to your kids like that again. And it happens over and over and over. Whatever that law is, whatever that thing is that you feel accountable to, what is it reminding you that you are not? Now, it's important to feel the tension in this. The point is not I'm not going to drill you into the ground this morning. (laughs) But it's so vitally important that you realize when you feel that, that the law of God in particular, that Paul is saying here, this experience of the law is not meant to act as a stick to get you more and more guilty in order to do things for him, but to act as a mirror. Who am I I to judge if I look into the mirror in that way? Who am I to judge? So first of all, we sense that there are oughts that control our thoughts. Then we come to an awareness of this law of God that acts as a mirror to us to show us who we really are. And then we come, then we come to one of those most famous Bible passages in all of the Bible. The ones I know that you've all learnt either at Sunday school or at the front door in 1973 when some evangelist has come around with a little diagram, probably with a chasm and a picture of the cross, right? <laughs> and, they, and if you listen to them long enough, you would listen to them long enough for them to tell you that we all have fallen short of the... There we go. I don't even need to preach it this morning. <laughs> that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. One of the most famous passages in the Bible... Sadly, often for all the wrong reasons, because it's sort of many preachers over the years have used a verse like this, almost like as a way to turn up the air conditioning on people so you can go and sell them a bottle of water. If we tell people how bad they are, then if we tell them enough, then we can tell them how much they need Jesus. Turn up the air con in order to get some water. You're feeling thirsty? He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, now what do you mean sin? Look, the, the church used to say this means you're a bad person. That's how it was always portrayed. You're a bad person. You need Jesus to make you better. Uh, but when you look at sin throughout the Bible, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than that. Often you look at the beginning of the Ten Commandments is to worship something other than God. The first sin is, a, is the sin of worshipping something other than God to worship our careers and our families and to worship relationship more than God. doesn't mean that you're necessarily a bad person. It just means we haven't put God in his rightful place. And that's what this law is doing when we see Paul progressing through Romans here. He says, the reason that you recognise a mess when you see one because every mess has a reference point. In other words, we sense this, we see this, and then we move into a revelation that there is a great reference point for the mess, and it's called the unmess. The great and the wonderful and the beautiful glory of God. That standard that we sense that we never fully live up to, both in our morality and in our beauty. The great unmess. You and I know it. We know what it should look like. We know what a marriage should look like. We know what, how, what it should be like to behave well. 
We know how we should respond. We know that we should be able to break away from these habits. We know what we should and shouldn't be doing in the relationship. Every mess has a reference point called the unmess. Part of the Christian life is discovering the beauty of that unmess and allowing that unmess to mould into your life the way that water does into a cell through osmosis. And so here's the key point of all these verses. Don't miss this. The point is, it's the awareness of our messes that awaken us to something outside of ourselves to which we're accountable. That's what all that Paul was getting to. I, I push you on this, even if you're not a religious type, that you sense this, you know this, you feel this. Even if you're just checking out Christianity. I, I haven't yet met a person who's come along to a talk like Christianity Explained, which is on this afternoon, and, and they haven't sensed this or at least acknowledged this at the deepest part of who they are, that there is a great unmess, a beauty, a perfection, a standard to which we don't live up to. And here's the point. It's the awareness of these messes. It's the awareness of the fact that I can't even keep up with where I th- think I should be. It's these things that that make us suddenly go, I'm going to try harder and harder and harder. And Paul says as an ex-religious tryhard, no, 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 don't do that. That's not the point of that. The point of all of it is this, to just be aware that you are accountable to something more big, more beautiful, more gracious. C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, when we quarrel, we appeal to a standard of behavior that we expect the other person to know about. There is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of people's behaviour and yet quite definitively real, a real law which none of us made but which we find pressing on us. So what Paul, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that when we come to awareness of God's law and the standard and the perfection, rather than shying away from it, rather than, rather than saying we're not going to go there, rather than not talking about it, Rather than not acknowledge it, rather than trying to push down and deny our own messes by denying the great unmess, Paul says, C.S. Lewis says, this is the very thing that have unlocked thousands and millions of adults over years into the gracious love of God. That it's an awareness, if you dare to look at these things and these imperfections in our lives, what these things really are is God pressing us so that we would finally acknowledge God as God. So this morning, how do you emerge out of the great mess of life? There's stuff that we feel that presses into us. Step one is that, is that you acknowledge, you at least just acknowledge the mess. Are you willing to do that? One of, the ways, one of the ways that we can is when we begin to understand the great hope and the promise of who Jesus Christ is. You know who Jesus Christ is? Jesus Christ is Pro Heart. You guys heard of Pro Heart, the artist? Back in the, you guys ever remember the Stainmaster ad back in about 1988? Remember that one where he goes, chucks wine and custard and spaghetti over a whole heap of carpet? Anyone who is a carpet freak, and I'm sure there's a few of them here this morning, uh, freaking out in an ad like that, spaghetti bolognese, a whole lot over the carpet, and he's, he's chucking all this wine and custard, and, and you hear him under his breath. He loves it. The more mess that he can find, the more elated he becomes. All custard, this is fantastic, chucks it on the floor, and then... 
Then as the camera pans back, you see a beautiful big picture of a dragonfly made out of spaghetti and custard and junk and wine and mess. <laughs> you know what Prohart did? He, he blessed the mess. That's the promise of what Jesus Christ will do to your life. You see, when you're at the hands, no matter how big your mess is, and in fact, the bigger your mess is in the hands of an artist, the more beautiful it becomes. Some of you have been spending so much of your life trying to be like the little cleaner lady that comes up at the end of the ad. Oh, Mr. Hart, what a mess! And she cleans and vacuums the whole thing up. God says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. I'm pro heart. I've come to bless the mess. And so if there is junk, if there is like the, the sole equivalent of spaghetti bolognese and custard chucked over all of the things that you thought were the plans of your life, understand this morning that if you're in Jesus Christ, you are in the hands of the cosmic pro heart. That any of us in this place are constantly coming to a revelation and given glimpses by the Holy Spirit that no matter how messy our lives feel, we're in the hands of the artist. And he might give us just a glimpse of the wingtip or the back of the thing, but we suddenly, deep in our souls, get a sense that the artist is at work and that he's doing something, that he's blessing the mess. But he can't bless it if we're not first willing to take the step to put our hands up and acknowledge the mess. And when we do that, we understand now that we're one inch away from acknowledging God. That's what Paul was getting at in this passage. For you this morning, it's a reminder that there is a God above and beyond and in and working through the messes of your life. There's a standard to which all messes are measured. It's called the unmess. It's called God's glory. And no one's perfect because there is a perfect that no one is. But there's a pathway. There's a portal. There's a channel. There's a window into the, the redemption and the transformation of the junk in our lives. And through Jesus Christ, we come to recognize that God moved into the mess. And that is where we meet him. There is an unmess and no one's perfect because there's a perfect that no one is. That's pretty heady, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty... <sighs> you want to just take a breath. Some of you, some of you got a theological nosebleed. You know, you're like, uh. It's pretty heady and we'll, we'll, we'll keep working on this next week. But we've all got something in common, whether you are religious, irreligious, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish Orthodox, Atheist we all know and we all sense that we either have been, are in, or one bad decision away from mess. And that means that if you come to understand that, become aware of your own mess this morning, then it means that you have something in common with the person that you despise the most. I don't like the blank. I don't like women who blank. I don't like men who blank. I don't people like people who blank. Fill in the blank, whatever that category is for you. I've got some good news for you this morning. Whatever that blank is for you, you've got, someone in, you've got something in common with that person. Because when you begin to recognize your mess and you see their mess, as Paul says, everyone is silenced. Because the moral of the story is we've all got one thing in common. <laughs> so this week, will you try something for me? You ready for this? Some homework. Will you try something for me? Um, try it, you probably won't remember the phrase, but 
try it. But look, if someone works in your life this week, a, a workmate, a family member, a friend or a stranger, and you look at them and you catch yourself saying to yourself in your head or under your voice, man, that person is a mess. <laughs> um, don't judge. Don't criticize. Instead, say this phrase, and this is a phrase that it's going to be tough to say. It's going to be tough to say, but I know if you can bring yourself to say this, it could lead to a deep freedom for you. It's going to be tough to say, but this is the sort of phrase that leads people to, to God. You ready to say it with me? The phrase is this. I know, I, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. <laughs> you ready to say that with me? You ready? I know a mess when I see one because I am one. No, a bit more gusto. Once more. Here we go. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Oh, how good does that feel in church this morning? Just shake that out. All the good clothes that we got dressed up in. They finally just call a spade a spade. Say it to yourself that, 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 say that to yourself this week. And we know if we begin at that point, church, the Lord is going to bless the mess. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.